Well, good evening, everybody. Can you hear me? Am I, am I wired? Good to see you all tonight. Um, wonderful always to be able to sing with everybody and to worship together. And we continue in our worship tonight by looking at the Psalms. And you'll be, you probably already know this, many of the Psalms are songs that have been written to worship the Lord, to, to praise God. And um, tonight we see another song that we are going to be studying, Psalm 88. So if you have your Bibles, please um, turn there with me. They will be on the screen as well. Uh, but the, songs have been, the Psalms have been written about many different things. But uh, this Psalm really is a very honest Psalm. It's a Psalm about suffering. It's a Psalm about darkness. It's a Psalm that all of us have experienced in, at one point in our lives, and pain and, and suffering are very real parts of our lives um, that, that, that make up our, our everyday life. Um, but the question is, how do you deal with pain and suffering? And we'll see tonight, as we go through this psalm, the, the theology behind that. Uh, you know, in India, we came across many Buddhists that we got to meet and we got to talk about and their philosophies and, and their beliefs. And I, I came to know that Buddhism itself was really uh, started to, to answer the question of suffering. And they, they see suffering as, as a result of bad karma. They don't see suffering as part of a fallen world. They don't um, see that as a consequence. And they actually consider suffering as one of their, it's, it's their first noble Truth. There's five noble truths of Buddhism, and they consider suffering as their very first one. The whole premise of Buddhism is to transcend suffering or to be delivered from suffering and certain things that you do that, that help you along the way. And, and similar to Buddhism, the, the Hindus view suffering as a punishment for, for sins that they've committed in this lifetime or that they've committed in their past lives. Remember, they have believe in reincarnation as well. And individuals' suffering is part of good or bad karma, similar to, to Buddhism. Um, Muslims understand that suffering is a way of submitting to the will of Allah. So the very word Islam means submission. And these Eastern ideas about suffering have influenced the West's thinking. And well-known life coaches teach that suffering and pain are just illusions. If we are just um, in, enlightened, it will all go away. And you hear that on, on very popular um, shows. And that's all false teaching. It's all false teaching. We know that's what the Bible uh, tells us, that sin is, in fact, part of this fallen world. And there are consequences to sin. And with that sin came misery. And so the misery is not unreal, it is very real. It's something that we face and something that we are all affected by. It's a very real thing that we have to deal with. But um, even in the, in the bookstores, in the Christian bookstores, there are, are books that claim to know how you can have your best life now, to be, to be void of all suffering, to, to have a life that is just happy, happy, happy. Um, and other false teachers deal with it this way. If you just had enough faith, then your troubles will go away. You won't have suffering. And the problem is 
you just are not trusting the Lord enough. Um, I've heard that many times, and people have asked me that question. Am I suffering because I just don't have enough faith? Well, obviously, that's what the health and wealth teachers would want us to believe, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Um, this is false teaching. And when we consider all of Scripture, we see that the whole Bible does say that those who follow the Lord often experience many blessings on the side of eternity. That is true. But it does not guarantee us lives that are, are easy and lives that are, are free of trouble. In fact, we are given prayers to pray during those times when, when we are suffering um, great difficulty. And th these are one of the psalms that I spoke about. There are psalms and there are prayers of lament which are found throughout the Bible. So how, how do you deal with pain and suffering? How do you deal with suffering? Well, this psalm has been written to help us to respond in a biblical way. Um, and let's walk through the psalm together. But first, let's read the passage and then look to God in prayer. Psalm 88. Psalm 88. Verse 1. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more. For they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. And you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut up in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do, you, do the departed rise up to praise you? Just make a note of that. We're going to talk about that quite a bit in verse 10. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? There's a question. Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Look at verse 16. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all the day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. That's the end of the psalm. There isn't really an answer to all of these questions. But let's pray before we, we see the theology unfold in these words tonight. Lord, we need your help as we study the psalm. But we thank you that it's in your book. We thank you that it's been recorded for us to understand, for us to, to battle with this very real problem of suffering. Because sometimes we, we need these words to sing because Sometimes we find ourselves right where this psalmist is. 
We pray, help us, Lord, then to behold truth from your word, even when that truth is hard, even though we don't understand it. We pray that you will reveal it to us tonight. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this psalm opens in verse 1 and 2, showing us an unanswered prayer. An unanswered prayer. And here the psalmist is basically crying out, Lord, please just hear my prayer. Please listen to me. Look at verse 1. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to me. In other words, the psalmist is, is basically saying, I've been pleading for your help, but it's like you're not listening to me, Lord, or you haven't heard me. And the psalmist has lifted up a prayer. He's lifted up a petition. He's lifted up a request for help. But it seems that his petition has been unheard. Now, there are seasons when strong believers feel as if their prayers have not been heard. There have been times when I'm praying and I, and I feel like the prayers are, are bouncing off the ceiling and coming back to the ground. And this psalm reminds us of seasons like that. If you were going through a season where a prayer had not been heard and you thought that the Bible teaches that, that true believers always get their prayers answered, um, then I wonder what you would think about yourself if, if your prayers are not being answered. How would you feel if your prayers are not being answered? And here we have an example of a godly man, a godly believer, whose prayers are not being answered. And by the way, I'm going to disclose his identity to you at the end of this psalm, okay? But he's a godly man. He's a godly believer. He's a strong believer. But right now, he feels very far away from the Lord. Right now, he feels that his prayers are not being answered, that God is not hearing him. Now, we know if we can step back, that ultimately there is always, there is always a bigger picture in, in, that, in that story. But we also know that when we're in the middle of this battle, and when we're praying and our prayers are not being answered, or we're praying for a loved one's conversion, or we, and that conversion doesn't come after a year, after two years, after three years, we all know this burden that we bear and that answer has not been given in our hearts for a long time. And, and we're praying, or we're praying for a, a, a deliverance from a terrible diagnosis from, from the doctor. And our prayers have not been answered. Or we're praying for, for mercy or for relief and, and grace. And that, and that miracle has not occurred. It's, it's a difficult place to be. It's a difficult place to be. And this psalmist is right there. This psalmist is being as honest as he could possibly be. Sometimes you read, I, 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 when I first read the psalm, I, I was a little bit taken aback at his honesty. It was, it was very harsh. But this is where he is, feeling as if his prayers have not been heard. But I think the first lesson that we can learn in that is that we need to be sensitive. It teaches us to be supportive to our, our brothers and sisters when their prayers are not being answered. It's not always because they don't have enough faith. Or it's not always because they are in sin. It could very possibly be that the Lord has a reason not to answer their prayers. And we need to be sensitive to that. 
But the second thing I want you to see is in verse 3 to verse 9. This psalmist, this, this section is very, very moving. It's very real. It's very raw. But this psalmist basically says, Lord, God, I've got, I've got one foot in the grave. And you're the one who's pushing me to the grave. You're the one who's pushing me there. The psalmist has nothing to do with the theology of, of Rabbi Harold Kushner. If you know the name, you'll know the book that he wrote. Rabbi Kushner wrote a book called When Good Things, sorry, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. When good thing when bad things happen to good people. It was a bestseller, but it's a motivational self-help philosophy. It's not the theology of the, the Bible. And if, if, if Rabbi Harold had been there when the psalmist was writing this, he, he would have said, look, sometimes bad things happen to good people. You're a good person. God has nothing to do with this. He'd love to help you out, but he can't because he's not in control of everything. And if you can just come to terms with the realization that God is not in control of everything and that He's not in control of your circumstances, then you will find some relief. That's basically what he says in his book, which is not what the Bible teaches. And it's not what the psalmist is teaching here in this passage. This psalmist knows better. This psalmist knows that God is in fact sovereign. That He is in fact in control of all of our problems. He's allowed them. You know, isn't it interesting that never once does Job, remember Job, he doesn't entertain the thought that God is not in control of his problems, that God is not in control of his life. He knows God is. In fact, the whole, the whole book of Job is, is wrestling precisely with this problem. Job knows that God is in control. And he wants to know, Lord, what in the world are you doing? Why are you doing this? That, that's his whole argument. But this psalmist acknowledges that God is indeed in charge. He is the one in charge. His message here in verse 3 to 9, look at verse 3. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. And then verse 6, he says, You have put me in the depths of the pit. My life is full of troubles because you are the one who's given them to me. You're the one who's put me in this pit. Now, what do we learn from that? Well, one thing we do learn is because this psalmist will not let go of this truth that God is sovereign, we need to be a little more sympathetic with him. He has, he has a correct understanding of, of theology. We need to be a little sympathetic. But again, as we, as we pull back and, and look at the, the bigger picture, we also need to realize that, that this isn't, a, it, it, it is, it's a kindness that God is being patient to listen to the psalmist. I mean, he's, he's talking very, very bluntly to the Lord here. But notice how the Lord responds. I mean, he's not, he's not destroying him. The Lord is listening to him. You know, when you cry out to God and you say, Lord, you just don't know how it is with me. We often are, are saying that from a place of pity, aren't we? And the truth is exactly the opposite. 
We just don't know what the Father has done for us. We will never know what the Father has done for us. He understands fully what we're going through. But we will never fully understand what God has done for us. We'll spend eternity plumbing the depths of what God has done for us. How God has paid for our sin. What Christ has done for us. What Christ has paid for us. And we'll never ever know completely what God has done for us. It's, it's very similar to a little child who's going through a problem at school and he comes home to his mom and, and dad and he says, Mom, Dad, you just don't understand. You won't understand the problems that I'm facing. Mom and Dad obviously look at their child and they think, Dear child, I, I wish you never had to grow up and understand the things that I understand, the things that I know. I know what you're going through. I've been there. And you'll never know, I hope you never know everything that I understand. And they may be upset about an eraser, or they're up, upset about a pencil, or about a friendship, or about a problem with the teacher. And they say, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, yes, we do. And yes, we are kind and patient with our children, aren't we? We don't lambast them from a, from a giddy height. We're patient with them. And we try and help them through these situations. And this should teach us to be patient with, with our friends, with our brothers and sisters who are going through similar problems. Just to be patient. But I want you to look at verse 10 to verse 12. Because now the psalmist comes up with a, with a clever argument. He comes up with a clever argument. He says, Lord, you really need to hear my prayers. And here's his argument. He says, I want to praise you. But I can't do that if I am six feet below the earth. I can't praise you from the grave. I can't witness to your wonders. I can't tell people about your righteousness. I can't tell people about your justice. I can't tell people about your faithfulness. I can't tell people about your mercy if I'm dead. So please listen to me. Answer my prayers. Well, there's, there's lots that we can learn from that statement. For one thing, let's appreciate that his theology is right. This psalmist has not forgotten his purpose, the chief end of man. I hope you can tell me what that is. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever, isn't it? But ironically, isn't it interesting that God will do and has done precisely what the psalmist thinks that He that he can't do. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. Can we get to verse 10 there? Here we go. He says, do you work wonders for the dead? Well, the answer is yes. God does wonders for the dead. Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? As a matter of fact, Old Testament believer, they will. They have. Look at verse 11. Is your loving kindness declared in the grave? Yes, it will be in my son's grave. It has been through my son's grave. Will your faithfulness be shown in, in Abaddon, in the, in the abyss, in the depths of hell? Yes, it will be. My son will endure it. Look at verse 12. Will your wonders be made known in the darkness? Yes, they will in, in the deepest depths of hell. Will your righteousness be 
made known in the land of forgetfulness? Yes, it will. Yes, it will. You see the very finality with which the psalmist is viewing death needs to remind us of the Christian hope of the resurrection. And maybe he didn't have all his theology right about that, but looking back now, in hindsight, it's always easier, isn't it? We have a hope of the resurrection, folks. And that's important for us to remember. That's important for us to remember because ultimately our, our hope is not simply that when we die, our souls immediately go to be with the Lord. Although they do, our hope is that one day our bodies will be raised from the dead and our souls, the totality of us, body and soul, and we will live and we will praise and we will worship God for His righteousness and faithfulness and, and justice and mercy forever. It's not about just getting a ticket to heaven, folks. It's that we will worship the Lord forever and ever. And the very lack of that full understanding of that truth by this Old Testament saint highlights this truth for us as Christians. We have such a wonderful hope. We have more of a hope than they did. They had a hope to look forward to. We have a hope that we are looking back behind to. We know what has already happened. We know that Jesus rose from the grave. But then we get to verse 13 and to verse 18. And there's still no answer to this prayer. There's still no answer. And the psalmist cries out. He says, I'm burdened. I'm burdened, Lord, by you. But I'm still waiting for your help. And this reminds us that there is not always a happy ending in this fallen world. Sometimes the Lord says no to our prayers. If you know the story of, of John Wesley, who started the Methodist denomination, you'll know he was in a very unhappy marriage and it was so unhappy that he got a letter telling him that his wife had died and had been buried several days before without him even knowing about this and there wasn't a happy ending to his prayers i don't think any of us would would question the love that john wesley had for the lord he was a godly man but there was no happy ending in in his story this psalm is as real and as honest as it gets. You know, we learn that there is indeed unrelieved suffering in the believer's life. But this psalm also teaches us that the believer knows this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not how God intended it to be. And the believer traces it all the way back to where? To the Garden of Eden. When sin entered our universe misery always paints a line back to to sin until sin is dealt with and then of course we can be encouraged and we see here the psalmist he doesn't give up his hope is in the resurrection he doesn't give up he keeps on praying he doesn't stop praying let me reveal to you the identity of this person here the author of this psalm look at the beginning in verse 1 you saw his name at the beginning it says that this is a, a masculine of heman the ezrahite 
So his name is Heman, the Ezraite. From the... Do you know who he was? Well, he was one of the pioneers of the choir of the Korahites. So the Korahites were the, the worship leaders in the temple. And he was one of the pioneers who brought this group together. This man put a choir together that, that has given us a number of psalms that, that we read and that we even sing. And this, this, this person was a godly man. He loved to worship the Lord. We don't know what he was going through. The, the scriptures don't tell us. We don't know the darkness that he was experiencing at this point. We don't know the dark night of his soul. But I think no matter how dark this time in his life was, it was a time for him to trust the Lord. He loved to worship God. He loved the Lord's people. He led the people in worship. And he desired to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is what we know about this psalm. This is what we know about this person. This is how he lived his life. Now what are the points of hope in this psalm? I don't want to leave you without hope this, this evening. As we come to a conclusion, what are the points? Let me quickly mention three here. And the first and most important point of hope in the psalm is found in the very first verse. Look at the very first verse. What does the psalmist call God? He says, O Lord, God of my salvation. Underline that in your Bibles. Notice there the word Lord is capital. L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is Yahweh. And Yahweh means the self-existent or eternal one. He doesn't just say Yahweh, he says Lord God. And God is, is Elohim. And that means the supreme God. So he's calling God the self-existent supreme God. He has a good theology here, folks. He understands the character of God here. And he's acknowledging by the very name that he uses to title God that God is our only help. God is our only hope. And that's one of the very big points of hope in the psalm. God is our only help. He is our only hope. And that is one thing that is never taken away from any believer. No matter how dark the night is that you are going through. No matter what else is taken away from you. That help and hope can never be taken away. And that is so important for us to remember. You know, we can lose our health. Think of Job here. We can lose even our family. We can lose even our possessions, even our jobs. But we cannot, nothing in this world can take away our hope and our help that is from the Lord. But notice in verse 10 to 12 here, here's a crazy argument that he gives to the Lord. Um, how can I praise you from the grave? And what do we see here? We see this continual desire that he has to praise God. Um, you know, it's, it's a sad place to be when, when you become cynical, isn't it? When you become even bitter. And you've become bitter and you've become cynical. Um, and and you, you're at a point where, where there's no hope. Well, despite what all he's been through, this psalmist is not cynical. He's not, he's not bitter. He still wants to praise God. 
And, and that is a great blessing. Even though he's going through so much, he still wants to be alive so he can continue to praise the Lord. And notice that even though there's no answer to this prayer in verse 13 to 18, look here, the psalmist is still praying. He is still praying to the Lord. And the message there for us is that we must not stop trusting. We must not stop praising. We must not stop praying. The existence of this prayer shows that the Bible is fully aware of dark times that we go through. And when it seems as if the darkness is surrounding us and it looks impossible, humanly speaking, for, for the light to ever break through, we need to persevere in our prayer. And the truth is, for now, on this earth, everyone suffers. Doesn't matter how godly we are, we will all suffer. And contrary to, to all the other religions, the hope the Bible gives is not escape from suffering, but deliverance from suffering, victory over suffering. Romans 8, look at Romans 8, verse 35. What a wonderful promise. Who shall separate us from the love of, God, of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Next verse. <laughs> no. In all of these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just in case there's something that he hasn't covered, he ends with that, nor anything else in all creation. Nothing in this earth, nothing outside of this earth. No death, no angels, no rulers. No, nothing in this present tense, nothing in, in, in the future tense. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And the cross of Christ calls us to suffer. We cannot avoid it. But the cross of Christ secures our victory, folks. And that is where our hope needs to be. Salvation is sure. Don't stop praying. Even if you, we can't see the daylight, remember the truth. Christ has overcome the world. Victory belongs to Him. Keep praying even if you don't feel like it. Don't believe the lies of the devil. Keep persevering. Keep trusting in the Lord God of your salvation. In our times of greatest pain and loss, instead of cursing the one who is in control, let us respond like Job did. He fell to his knees and remember the words that he uttered. He said, Lord, you gave and you have taken away. Blessed be your name, Lord. You, though you slay me, yet will I praise you. It is powerful to praise God in, in any circumstance, but, but when you are suffering, that is the most precious praises of all. When we cling to Christ in, in, in these horrible circumstances, knowing that Christ has walked our path, he has received our nail and he has suffered in our place. 
I'm going to show you a song in a moment that has been inspired by these precious truths. It was written by Shane Barnard from Shane and Shane, um, a group, a music group. And when Shane Barnard came, he, he wrote this song in, in while he was in, in hospital um, during his, his father's illness. But he arrived at the hospital one day and his, the doctors had told them that his father was dying. When the doctor informed Barnard and his mother that his, his father had died, of course there was terrible pain and there was terrible shock. But Barnard's mother wasn't, she wasn't able to stand and she began hyperventilating and she was overcome by this pain and this loss of her husband. But Barnard, he, he held his mother and he comforted her. And, and he says that while she was crying, she sang softly underneath her breath the words of Job. That we read here, the Lord gives, the Lord takes, blessed be the name of the Lord. So this is the context of the song that we're going to watch now. And Barnard remembers this as a, as a beautiful cry from his mother. Not only in her tone and in her pitch, but the fact that she was vocalizing these, this deep trust in, in God. Even while she was in neck height of pain and loss. And he says it was the most painful room. But he says there was so much joy as they turned their hearts together to worship in this hardest of moments that they had experienced, which became the inspiration for the song. Won't you play the song?
momentary, not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there, but all of it is totally meaningful. Every millisecond of your pain from the fallen nature or fallen man, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that. I don't care if it was cancer or criticism. I don't care if it was slander or sickness. It wasn't meaningless. It's doing something. It's not meaningless. Of course you can't see what it's doing. Don't look to what is seen. When your mom dies, when your kid dies, when you've got cancer at 40, when a car careens at the sidewalk and takes her out, don't say, it's meaningless. It's not. It's working for you an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, therefore, do not lose heart. But take these truths and day by day focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach His Word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and cared for. Pray together while the worship team makes their way up. Lord God of my salvation, we cry out night and day before you. Let our prayer come before you. Incline your ears to our cries. Thank you for the hope that we have through Jesus Christ who suffered on our parts that we may have life eternal. Thank you for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.